Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We're gonna have a great show. Beth Reynolds from the Iowa Beef Center is gonna be here and we're gonna talk about feeding your cows, talk about supplements, we're gonna talk about grass, we're gonna talk about general cow nutrition. Thanks for watching, we'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson and with me is Beth Reynolds. She's a program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center. She's a wealth of knowledge, a great colleague, and, and we are lucky to track her down and have her be here on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, we're going to talk about cow nutrition and I'm going to, I'm going to do what, what I probably would do anyway is like, Hey, what should I feed my cows? Right. That, that get that question. Yep. Yep. And that's a, that's a pretty general question, but, um, pretty general question, but people come in there and they'll say, Hey doc, what should I feed my cows or what should I vaccinate with yep. or whatever. But for you and your expertise, what would be your next question? Well, first question is what's their base forage or feed stuff that they're on. I mean, where are you located? And what's available to you is pr pretty much the primary question you got to figure out before you can start coming up with any type of a ration to go along with their diet or supplement with whatever forage they're on. Yeah. So, so we got to define acres, forage availability, animal unit type things. Kind of not necessarily. I mean, okay. for the most part, when we, it's great to have all that information. A lot of times we don't necessarily uh, stocking rate in animal units. Um, the best is when you can talk in animal units, but re registering that an animal unit isn't one cow or one pair that it's a thousand pound animal and that needs to be adjusted appropriately. Um, kind of where you're at regionally kind of varies in what the standard language is, but that is the best measure. But and when somebody comes and asks, what do I need to be feeding my cows or how do I need to supplement them? Biggest thing is like, what are they on? So are you, do you have corn stalks available, baled, grazed? Are they on some summer pasture? And then you start working into, okay, what's the limiting factor? I mean, how, how long do you think you'll have grass um, where that can be their primary feed? Or are you trying to stretch it if it's a anticipated drought here? Corn stalks, how long have they been out there? Are they needing to have a little extra supplement on there because they've already been on that corn stalk field for 30 days and are running out of the goody a little bit, but. Yep. So beyond the, what I have in the field, then I'm assuming the other questions would be surrounding the, the critters, the cows. Yeah. Well, very good point. You're saying feeding the cows, I'm assuming this time of year, a late gestation animal, but uh, really need to clarify what stage of production are they in? What's their expected empty body weight or meaning are they a lot of people say 1,200 pound cows. In reality, a 1,400 pound cow is easily the standard, if not more than that, especially in the Midwest. Uh, but when are they expected to calve? What's expected of that cow and her performance measures going forward? So 
Yeah. Makes a big difference. Well, it used to be. At least at least we're getting to expand that now we have 1,200-pound cows because it was always everybody had 1,000-pound cows. Well, yeah. <laughs> Until a... you weighed them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and so I I think you're right. So So anything else besides, you know, defining the cows, their weight, their stage of production or or the what's available so what uh supplement options are going to be available for you sure. is do you have whole corn in the bin great are you going to be going to a co-op really close to an ethanol plant that'll make a big difference in what feed stuff is going to fill your limiting nutrient the most economically when we come back we'll talk about when we get some of those answers uh, and some of the recommendations you're watching doc talk thanks for joining us DNA Dialogue is brought to you by Igenity Branded, powered by Neogen. So traditionally, buyers of feeder cattle have been operating with very, very little information when they go out to make those purchases. So they might know the hide color of a calf. They know the average weight of the lot. Um, they maybe know a little bit about whether it's gotten a vaccine if they're lucky. But other than that, the, the buyers of these cattle assume a lot of risk because they're really just flying blind when it comes to the, the genetic potential of these calves, how they've been treated, um, sort of what all has gone into that calf to get them to that point. The, the advantage to value-added programs and verified programs, whether they're through genomics or health protocols, is they give that buyer more confidence that they're investing their money in a, a product that's going to pay, in a calf that's going to pay at the end of the day. So um, th this could be having information about an animal's genetic potential. Um, they're much more confident when they know something about that animal's genetic potential, that when they put that calf in the feed yard, they put that calf on the rail, that the phenotype that that calf expresses is, is ultimately um, what those, those genetic tests might, uh, might have said. So at the end of the day, uh, what these value-added programs, um, whether they're genomics, whether they're health protocols, um, they're helping these buyers be more confident that what they're investing in is, is really what they're going to get delivered and that those animals are going to go on downstream and perform in the feedlot and, and on the rail. We know how expensive it is to keep and maintain heifers. What is also the fallout of those heifers if they're not the correct ones you're keeping and maintaining? We want to do as much as we can to get it right before we spend the money to impact our herd further down that road and keep successive females out of the wrong type of females. Igenity Beef. Contact your Neogen Territory Manager to test today. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds, who's the program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center. When we left, we kind of set this up then. So let's talk, let's talk about different answers you get on, okay, they're in the field. So let's say the, the first answer is they're, they're gonna be turned out on grass pasture this summer, um, but it's, we're gonna have short grass. So what are some things that would you, you would start to, to think about? Okay, well, and and it's a spring cabin herd, so they're calves on the side. Okay, so when we start talking summer pasture or spring turnout, a yep. lot um, definitely varies uh, across regions, right? But in Iowa and Missouri and a lot of this midwestern area, we have a really big spring flush with our forage, where there's really rapid growth right away, and then it tapers off 
we have our summer slump because they're all cool season or the cool season base anyways in our perennial pastures and then uh in the fall we'll get a little bit of a growth but not near what our spring flush is but the biggest thing we talk about spring turnout is making sure you're turning out when there's enough grass left otherwise just sheer intake is going to be the limiting factor there's a lot of discussion in various articles out there on oh you got to give them those those are just lush wet pastures you got to give them something dry to chew on and um in reality the biggest limiting factor when it's that high moisture content is just the grass isn't as nutrient dense packed as it is otherwise so it's not really that they can't handle all that water cows drink a lot of water every day the water isn't limiting it's just sheer intake and a lot of that is driven by height and bite size and how many bites can she eat per day Um, so if your spring turnout if you're talking about supplement needs the best I mean, for your pasture health is to delay turnout if you can. Um, Keep them on your winter feed source until there is adequate growth. Get six inches plus. Um, And then typically you're playing catch up trying to hit the spring flush, but you're not limiting those cows on uh, their feed intake. Right. Um, And really our prime pasture is that early, well, mid-spring, early summer pasture. And Honestly, if your cows have to be supplemented at that point in time, even though it's peak requirements, hitting uh, peak lactation and stuff, that's uh, that's our best feed available. So if you're having to supplement, you might want to question whether your cows fit the environment very well, but that's a whole other topic, right? But that would be more like protein energy. We, we would still have vitamins, minerals, or... Yes. To, yep. to so that's put out... Most yeah definitely getting to protein energy um, requirements when we're talking about supplementation their main supplement they need year-round but especially in the spring pasture is a good mineral program when you're getting that early turnout lush forages those forages are really high in potassium which is antagonistic for magnesium in the um, gut and so that's why we talk about high mag mineral and why it's necessary not because there's not very much magnesium in the plant it's there but it's because the high potassium ties that up. And then um, even if you have magnesium in your supplement, there's not enough there to really be absorbed because it's tied and passes through the animal rather than entering the bloodstream. So high mag mineral in spring um, is definitely our supplement emphasis. And then as you get into summer, you can get go back and out of that seasonal mineral and get to some of your more base mineral packages. Uh, or if you have a breeder's pack you want to use or something like that is an option as well. Perfect. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about uh, what's in the field and what's available with Beth Reynolds. We're here at Iowa State. You're watching Doc Talk. Thanks for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds. She is a program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center covering the entire state of Iowa and beyond. She's a wealth of knowledge on cow-calf nutrition and production and management and uh, is somebody that really gets out and works with our industry and we're very thankful for what you do. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about summer slump then because we, we got to the spring and we got them supplemented. We've talked about vitamin mineral. What, what do we need to be looking for or, or thinking about in, during that time? Okay, so summer slump, talking supplement options is kind of our emphasis. Again, make sure they still have consistent access to their mineral. Most mineral programs, uh, consistency is key. 
if you have it out there all the time, they're not going to gorge themselves and go through it as fast as if you're really consistent with it, monitoring salt intake, all that yep. um, good stuff. But uh, other supplement considerations for the summer slump. So this is when our production drops. Um, typically, we're past that peak lactation time frame in our highest peak requirements, but it kind of depends on what your pasture options are and how you've managed that pasture throughout. So if you've been pretty intensely rotationally grazing and have that still in fairly vegetative, even though you don't have as much growth, you can get by with less. But if you are really taking a hit summer slump in terms of production, one of our primary grasses in this area, even as you get farther north, is still fescue. If you think summer slump, a lot of that is driven by heat suppressing those cool season grasses growth, but the heat is also uh, fescue toxicity essentially works as a type of heat stress, right? Yep. Um, and so you're having that combination effect. And so a lot of our emphasis on some of supplement options, uh, if you're trying to stretch pasture, is to try to get a little bit of an energy supplement because that's had some benefits shown with fescue toxicity, whether that's a displacing just some of the diet and also just improving some rumen function as well. Well, and, and we can feed cattle you know feeder cattle they come in off of fescue pastures they're heat intolerant but as we feed them grain um, they come out of that heat intolerance and so there's probably some physiology there as well definitely just decreasing the amount of endophyte infested yeah fescue that they take yeah. in basically a lot of dilution is the solution type of yeah. <laughs> and mowing on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's depending on how your grazing management is gone if you have a lot of seed heads out there you might be better off just go taking a mower and clipping that seed head i know it takes a lot of fuel and equipment in order to go mow pasture and some isn't accessible but uh controlling that endophyte really has some performance implications especially for those cows that bred fairly early maybe not the earliest in the breeding season if they hit that heat stress period they're pretty prone to sloughing that calf early abortions with fescue toxicity are something so to consider. So when you talk about supplementing them some energy, what are some of the common? Well, in Iowa, corn is king, right? So uh, that's definitely an effective supplement option. Um, the one thing to consider with corn is it is starch based. So as you increase your levels of corn, um, you'll be, there are some, if you get to reach a point, you'll be reducing fiber digestibility, and then they're not getting as much out of the forage as they are if you would have switched to digestible fiber or something like that. And um, so some of those would be like soy holes or distillers, distillers. Yeah. Uh, gluten. Um, but you could definitely can effectively use corn. Uh, if you're going to be running this time of year, you probably have a solid idea if you're going to be pretty short grass or if you um, are getting to whatever your target end date, whether that's Thanksgiving, you want to bring them home or whatever. The supplementation level and whether it's a starch or a fiber-based supplement will make a difference on whether it displaces any of their forage intake. A fiber is more effective at doing that than a starch. Um, and then also considering it's a lot more convenient to do like every other day or every third day supplementation. But if like forage intake, if you're supplementing so that they don't go through the pasture as fast, uh, every other day supplementation will not displace forage intake right. like a daily supplement. Um, potentially can depending on how much is fed. Great. So if you're just doing it for for performance and and uh, 
body condition you can do the every other day but if you're doing it to keep them out of the fescue as much and and prevent some of that uh, limit some of the forage intake you got to do them every day yeah pretty much energy versus protein how well they respond will vary they do a little better every other day with protein supplementation but it in general correct forage intake every other day don't do uh, talking supplementations with beth reynolds thanks for watching Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. We're here at Iowa State University where I'm here with Beth Reynolds. She is a program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center. And if you haven't seen the Iowa Beef Center's website, you should go to it. It's incredible wealth of knowledge. And this is somebody that's put a lot of content into it, uh, as well as answering questions around our state on cow-calf nutrition production and different things uh, to that. But we've talked about spring and the high mag uh, supplementation because of, of it getting uh, tied up. We've talked about summer slump and our grass going down, extending uh, grass, um, you know, and, and different ways to supplement with every day versus every other day, depending on what your goal is of why you're supplementing. Um, but now we get to the point in time, at least around here, where we've, <laughs> we're starting, to, we don't have grass. Yeah. And now you're not we're supplementing your feeding. <laughs> yeah, we're feeding now. So let's let's talk about about feeding cows in the the winter, yeah. fall and winter. Okay, so I mean we can touch on fall pretty quick. I mean weaning time frame, get calves weaned, and then your cows are at their lowest requirements they'll ever have in their production cycle. Right. So that's they're pretty easy to feed and maintain at that point in time. However, one thing really to pay attention to is make sure that weaning time frame you get a good idea of your herd body condition score because if you're going to put weight on a cow for calving or leading up to the breeding season because you still want her to breed back next year this is your time to do it if she's post calving trying to put weight on a cow um is really hard and yeah. really expensive i guess and the NRC, you can do it but it's expensive the nrc has defined you know we used to guess but seven percent of the cow's body weight 7.7 percent is roughly a body condition score. So if they weigh a thousand pounds, it's it's seventy-seven pounds. Yep. If it's you know if they weigh more, then take it times seven point seven percent. Yep, good explanation. But <laughs> yeah, we say ideal body condition score is a five. They perform still really well. If you get to a six, um, so you could argue that it's a bit better, higher. But remember, higher body condition score is more expensive to feed. So there's yep. um, trade-offs, and and in general, we try to target body condition score to be a five or above at calving because it's really correlated with um, colostrum quality, how long it takes the cow to stand and calf to stand. Uh, and most, well, I guess they're all important, but uh, really important is, is also her likelihood to breed back the, in the breeding season and how early in the breeding season she'll breed back. And the other component of that is trying to get from calving to breeding, even though that's going to be your peak requirements, and it's hard to feed above her requirements necessarily, but still have a positive plan of nutrition where she's making progress on that. Yeah, because the third just trimester and lactation is just so demanding yes, energetically. very much. It's, it's okay if your cows lose a little weight because it's just hard to feed them, but understand that that's the only time you want them to ever experience any of that. And if you can maintain it where you don't visually notice, that's even better, but that fall time frame, best time to add weight to those cattle. And then we get into winter and tend to do more rations or even if it's just hay that you're feeding them. But 
something to really pay attention to along with just weight again bring up mineral nutrition um, all of the calf calves minerals are accumulated either in the liver at this point in time or well the majority at this point in time or it's through her milk especially through that colostrum mineral nutrition is important in that aspect and when we get into this winter feeding period um, a lot of us have feeds available like corn stalks distillers corn silage especially that um, can have some they're considered highly antagonistic feedstuffs meaning they have like for corn silage if you have some dirt contamination in there when you put it up and siling process that iron's more available and is that iron is antagonistic to like uh, the calcium and uh, like copper. manganese yeah. co sulfur copper to there's antagonistic relationships with those minerals in the diet so even if you're feeding a mineral feeding them enough mineral if you're feeding feeds that are antagonistic you need to take into account what those relationships are and if you need to boost certain minerals in that time frame to account for that but making sure she has enough in her um her diet because she's setting the calf up for that early health period too because it's not that calf's not going to be getting any minerals from anything other than what she puts in at that gestation time frame and then from it's from her milk but those and that a lot of her milk supply is those macro minerals or like calcium magnesium um in that earlier time frame it gets to some of those micro minerals so um mineral is a whole can of worms but um in terms of feeding the cow late gestation is probably your most critical time to make sure you're meeting her requirements for perfect mineral. Uh, remember, always work with your local veterinarian and nutritionist. Uh, if you want to know more about what we do at Doc Talk, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds, and we'll see you down the road. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow.